Welcome to Kashras on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashras Magazine. And tonight's show should be very interesting because it, it incorporates a tremendous amount of material from different parts of the world and, and what's going on in the world of kosher. First, I'd like to start with an apology for what happened last week. Uh, I don't know if everybody listened to the show or if you caught the whole show. Last week, you got a bonus. You got a, a week and a half, but an hour and a half program. But the problem was that uh, they played the previous week's show, and they didn't start the new show until about 6.30, 6.35. So if you were not listening after that, because we had... It played the, the previous week's show, so I, I apologize to you, and I want to tell you what we discussed last week was about Rabbi, uh, most of it was Rabbi, Rabbi uh, Yisrael Pinchas Gornish, who, who just passed away, and uh, we, we viewed a lot of things that I had to do with him during his lifetime in the area of Kashrus particular. Uh, it was a very, very special show. Uh, it meant a lot to me. And if anybody did not hear that show or wants to get a copy of that show, you could send me an email and I will send you back a link to that, um, to, to that show. So I, can, uh, I don't know if you can get it easily, uh, access it easily another way, but it definitely is worth listening to because very, very interesting. I told a lot of personal stories I had with Rabbi Gornish in the area of Kashrus. So you could just send me an email at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Again, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. And just write on it, Rabbi Gornish, or Rabbi Gornish tape, and I will send it over to you. Okay, that's this for last week. Tonight, I have a tremendous amount of material. I'm not going to just tell you in advance. There's just so many things that are going on in Israel, in America, um, there was this Passover tragedy in the college campus. There was the, the tragedy in Israel where the person died. Um, there's a, a big fight in Israel between Soar and the Rabbanut. Uh, we hope to discuss a little bit about Michigan, a very interesting update. We're going to discuss um, hmm, uh, THC. I don't know if you know what that is. And it's very interesting what I'm going to talk about there. And we can hopefully mention about bedside kosher in England. Maybe we'll get into some of the college campus issues, a few of them over here. I want to mention a little bit about some of the beverages, the new beverages that came out. So let me just start with a few updates um, that will be interesting to most of you. This one I just got. It's not five minutes old. You know, this show is prepared and usually on a Monday afternoon and it's recorded and you play it back at, they play it back at the, uh, at the appointed time of six o'clock here in New York. Uh, the this just came off the wire a couple of minutes ago, definitely from today, and I want to show you what it means. It's a company called Cosmos, C O S M O apostrophe S, and they they make different foods, and they're in West Haven, Connecticut, and it seems that they make a product called Cosmos hot stuffed cherry peppers with proskyuto and provolone, and it has an okay on it, unauthorized. Now, what is this product? Well, if you don't know, you're finding out now. Proskyuto, I'm sorry, proskyutoi, 
I gotta say it the right way. Proschiuto. So I, my my uh, my Italian is weak. Uh, Proschiuto is him, and there's two types. There's Proschiuto crudo, which is cured ham. In other words, they use uh, it's, it's smoked, and then there's Proschiuto coto, which is cooked ham. And it's always referred to as proskiuto. And then what type it is, it's described to you. And if you don't know that, it's a nebuch. If you don't know that word, you're in trouble. I opened up a package of a very well-known product, which probably is in your house. It has two very good ashkachas on it. Sorry, there's not five, but there are two very good ashkachas on it. And under the, the, the label, the, the cover of, of, this pa- of this package, it has a recipe and it mentions proscuto. And when I saw that right away, I know that that means ham. Most of my listeners, most of you don't even know that. And I said, how could it be two ashkachas, and they're, they're advertising how to use this product with ham? I said, I can't believe it. Why, do you, why are they giving recipes for ham on a kosher product with a Hamish ashkacha and a national ashkacha? And I contacted them. The Hamish Yashkoch right away told me they're going to take care of it. Uh, I don't know if they did or they didn't. That's not something I could figure out so easily because the, the company puts a lot of different uh, recipes and keeps changing them. So I can't buy all their products and find out whether they kept doing it or not. But according to this Akash agency, it was going to be stopped. The other Akash agency never responded to me at all. So that bothered me a little bit, but uh, hopefully it was taken care of. But this is going on. There are words that mean non-kosher food. Now, I see a hashkoch on a product. I think it's kosher. But yet, now, we have to start using your head. Do you know? <laughs> I don't say you should know Italian. But are you familiar with some of these words? And it's not going to always going to say ham. It's going to say something like proscuto. And provolone is not a big problem because that's a... That's a uh, the Italian smoked cheese, but uh, there's kosher Italian smoked cheeses. That's not a big deal. It's just a type of cheese. Okay, so provolone. Uh, just thought that was interesting because I think many people will catch it. Now, the other one that came across my desk, which I thought you might be interested in, is there are some new um, beverages, new sodas that are out that are acceptably kosher. Uh, one is called Coca-Cola with coffee. And I'm sure there are people who are going to want that. Coca-Cola with coffee, dark blend, vanilla, or caramel. Three flavors. And there's another one, Coca-Cola with coffee zero. So <laughs> you don't have any calories, and you, you get high on this thing, or whatever it is, it gives you a big lift. And this is what the, the, the new soda is. And that, uh, the one with zero, zero sugar, is it comes in dark blend and vanilla flavors. They both uh, are OU certified, and the OU is on the label. So it doesn't sound like a big deal, just letting you know about the two. But here, the next ones are a little more interesting. So Pepsi, uh, there's a new two Pepsis, Pepsi Mango and Pepsi Mango Zero Sugar. They are kosher and may or may not have a label, a, a kosher symbol on it. So if you see Pepsi Mango or Pepsi Mango Zero Sugar, it's kosher even if there's no symbol on it. And the next one is Dr. Pepper Zero 
sugar. No sugar in it at all. Dr. Pepper, and this comes in a uh, original cherry and cream soda. These three flavors, they're kosher, and it doesn't have to have a symbol. Dr. Pepper, zero sugar, and ch- uh, in original cherry or cream and cream soda. That, uh, you know, zero pepper, uh, Dr. Pepper, zero sugar and cream soda. That would be the third one. Okay. I just thought those are interesting uh, because they're, everybody wants sodas and the new ones are coming out all the time and that some of them do not even need to have a shkafa. If you're interested in why, I, I could tell you that. Let me share one more little with you, with you because this is very important. Tums products made in this country were under Hashkocha for a number of years by a gentleman who passed away recently. And he, had the, um, he had the Diamond K. And Rabbi Lieberman passed away recently, two years ago, a year and a half ago, the summer, a year and a half ago. And uh, Rabbi Lieberman ha- had tums that were made in this country. He didn't have tums that were imported from Canada. He just certified that tums were made here. Now, these are new things that are happening in Tums. First of all, he's not here anymore. I know that the, the, the uh, Diamond K does continue, and I believe it is still on Tums. I believe that certain Tums are not under the Diamond K and under somebody else. I'm not going to tell you who because I don't remember the details, but I'm going to share this with you. Tums Natural Anti-Acid uh, black cherry and watermelon, they have carmine in it. Carmine is from a, an insect. It's a red color from an insect. So, okay, so uh, it, it, you shouldn't be using it. That's the Tums Natural black cherry and watermelon. And there's another one called Tums Chewy Bites that also has carmine in it. So those two should not be used. And uh, they, uh, they, are, they will not have any hashkoch on it. You don't have to worry about that. But if you have been using Tums and you see these varieties, the black cherry and watermelon, that's one variety, or the chewy bites, they should not be used. Um, the, the, there's ones called Tums Chewy Delights. The one I said was bites. There's, what, there's Tums Chewy Delights, that's milchik. And it's marked as dairy, as, as, as dairy. So that I think comes with a hashgacha on it. But uh, you'll you'll be if you have to be looking for this hashgacha now on Tums, that's for sure. Uh, there's a few updates uh, now. We'll be getting ready to begin our show uh, for tonight, which is power packed. Okay, there are two things that happened simultaneously, more or less. This person who passed away. It was written as April 15th, so it's a week ago, um, a little more than a week ago. There was a 23-year-old woman in Eretz Israel, and she went to a restaurant in the town Rosh Pina. She is, her name was Osher Derry, and she was from Chatzor Haglilit. And uh, she, young lady, 23, and... What happened was she went to a Fleshika restaurant under Hashgacha, okay, and presumably everything would be good, right? Uh, unfortunately, they, it seems that in the afternoon or sometime during the day, 
the chef, who was 19 years old, 19-year-old chef, he noticed that they were out of a certain thing in the, in the, in the restaurant, and he sent a co-worker out to buy it. Now, this raises a lot of questions. A tremendous number of questions are raised here. He sent the, the, the person out to buy a part of an item, because this is a Fleshika restaurant. What they bought, I don't know. I heard three different variations of what they bought. Some say an ingredient, some say whipped cream, and some say uh, ice cream. So between the Hebrew and the English and the different ver- people's uh, sources of, of information, we have, I have not figured out what it was that was bought. And that raises a lot of questions to me because now I'm going deeper into the th- situation than anyone else is going to discuss with you. Who is at fault? How many people did it take for this woman to die? What was, how many people erred? How many people were not on the job? Was it the Hashgacha agency? Was there a mashkiach there on the present? Was the mashkiach's job to oversee it? Was the, the uh, chef a- appropriate for him to go out and to buy or send somebody out to buy something? Where did the money come from? Who was this other person? Were, were they both Jewish? Were, were they both religious or not? Was, uh, you know, what was the background by which the, this, this thing happened? How did it go happen that the person walked across the street and bought this product? Now, let's go a step further. Israel's a small country. The store across the street is probably not uh, a major supermarket. It's probably a smaller place. I'm just guessing. I don't know. I don't even know what this looks like over there. It's not even a big city. So I don't know what, what is going on in, the, in the, that, that city and right there in Roshpina where, you know, where the, 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 the thing was located. I, I don't know. Now, uh, and we'll also ask the question about whether or not the owner has any responsibility because maybe he has supposed to set up some kind of system and he didn't do it properly. But this man walks in across the street. Now, what is across the street? Is it a small store? Do they recognize this man as working across the street in a Fleischer restaurant? When he purchases something, does the, are, is the owner or the, or the worker aware that a man working in a Fleischer restaurant is purchasing something for you that seems to be for use, immediate use, probably for immediate use? Is there an error? Did he realize it's dairy, the person who sold it to him? Years ago, I was in a, in a supermarket, and I raised the question that the particular item is not kosher and was being sold in that supermarket. And I told the person of who was going to buy it, don't buy this. And I told him it's not kosher. He said, how do you know? So I ran out to the car and I got, I got a flyer that I had talking about this particular product that I had printed for the magazine. And I showed it to him. And he said, okay, you know, he, he was ready to listen to me. And the guy behind the counter, a religious person, and this was in the middle of Borough Park, from owner, from store, there's a worker though, sitting there at the cash register, he said to the man, it's true, it's not kosher. 
They're selling it in a from store in Borough Park. And I'm telling the guy not to buy it. And he doesn't say a word. And then when I, he, I said it, so he says, you're right. But he would let the man buy it, even though it's not kosher, even though he's a religious Jew buying it. This is what, so we don't know whether the people across the street have a responsibility to this young woman's death. Interestingly enough, I mean, not interesting, scary enough is, uh, the mother said, I kept her alive 22 years in the house, you know, I don't know what, 22, she was 23, but I, I, was, I was watching her all these years, and she said that she, when she ate something that was wrong, they had five minutes to give her something, maybe a pen, the Yuppie pen, five minutes to go ahead and do something that would save her life. And unfortunately, it was beyond that. They tried to revive her, it was impossible. This is the true story that happened in Eretz Israel this month, a week ago, a little more than a week ago. Uh, scary. Mamish, scary. And the question is, who was responsible? So, by the way, they moved on the owner of the store and the other people, and they, they did what they had to do to... Uh, he, they closed down the place, and, and, and it was a question about whether or not they're going to take, seek any action against the owner, and they decided that they wouldn't. Police decided there isn't a, the owner is, not, not, is really, he, he's not guilty of anything on, on a legal level. But the question is, how many people are responsible here? So what do they want to do? So right away, there's a... Uh, a gentleman by the name of Rabbi Yinon Azulai from the Shas party, he submitted a bill requiring every restaurant to have an EpiPen to, to be able to get a syringe to, for, in case to, for, for first aid for an allergic you know, sufferers. Rabbi Azulai submitted the bill following the, this incident over here in Roshpina, and uh, where she died over this milk exposure to this milk, this dairy, dairy product, whatever it was. Um, the five, five employees had been stopped, and uh, there was suspicion of negligent homicide, but they were released, and it was not uh, anything against them. But the question is, um, this is the response, the EpiPen? It's beautiful. It should be there. It should be everywhere. EpiPen should be everywhere we could possibly get them because it could save a life, no question. And people have to be trained how to use it. It's definitely a, a very, very good plan. But somebody else took other action. There's a lawyer, and uh, this, 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 this lawyer, um, his name is Yogav Narkis. And he said, well, we understand at this stage is that they ran out of a dessert ingredient. He doesn't, again, identify what it is. And there was an explicit request by the kitchen manager. Some people refer to him as a chef. Some say he's a manager to purchase a part, a part of a product. It was, and they, here's what they use, the famous line. It's so scary. They use the word, apparently an innocent mistake happened. We understand it was innocent. It, wasn't a, it was a mistake. The question is, 
what can we do to prevent this? Because it's a kashvist question, and it's a health issue, and it shouldn't be happening. It doesn't happen often, but I do remember one case in particular that happened in early 1980s or in 1980 or just the end of the 70s. There was a terrible, terrible tragedy where somebody who was allergic to dairy ate a product that had hashkocha, which was the frumest hashkocha out at that time. The frumest, the most demanding beyond a question in America, the toughest, bestest hashkacha that you could imagine in America at that time. That's the, that was the hashkacha. And the product was from a company that is a super Hamish company that's still around. It's an old Jewish company and very, very respected company, respected hashkacha, top of the line, top of the line. And the person died from it. Obviously, an ingredient got in there with all the hashkocha, with all of the work, with all of the guarantees. The person died. It wasn't an issue about whether or not they, they, they claim it was dairy. It was dairy, no question about it. Now, again, I don't know the percentages and the numbers. Sometimes a, a person can have a reaction to a part per billion, a person who's allergic. I don't know if they die from that. So I don't know if the parts per billion kind of thing would, would kill them or it has to be something where it's significant. I don't know. I don't know the numbers. I, uh, maybe everybody's different. I can't tell you. But there was a, 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 a guarantee that that situation, it was dairy. And they didn't know it. And they admitted it afterwards. They discovered that it was dairy. It was a cookie. And it, uh, it was a terrible thing. Terrible thing. It doesn't happen often. But it happens even once. Something of this nature should not occur. There have to be in place better precaution. Just like we're protecting from somebody putting, uh, you know, selling non-kosher as kosher. There's got to be some kind of protection for us. That they're not going to sell you a, pro a part of a, pro a product that's dairy and claiming it's part of a product over the, such a situation where somebody went across the street and buy, bought for the product. So lest you think this, this is never going to happen to anybody near where you are, this is in Israel, and who knows what kind of a restaurant it is, Rosh Pina, I mean, who knows what, who lives over there. You don't know, it's not something that we're familiar with. So I'll tell you Borough Park. Borough Park, a few years ago, they served non-kosher hot dogs in a restaurant in the middle of Borough Park with the frumest hashkocha. And I'm not sure if there wasn't a mashkiach there too. And it was the same exact thing. We need some more. Go, go across the street and buy some. They took money out of the cash register, which is the whole issue. Do I have the right to take money in other words, how is, the, how is the, the store running? Do they allow workers to take out money and to purchase things across the street? Of course, he could have stolen it and the money, or maybe pay it back or something. He maybe just took it and filled, he's doing it for a service to the store, but he took it out and he handed it to somebody who I believe was not Jewish, uh, but I don't remember. 
And they went across the street and they bought Trefer hot dogs and they started using those hot dogs. And in this case, they were serving milchika ice cream or milchika dessert or whatever it was, whipped cream or something. And, and that means all of the people were eating it until that time that was discovered. So maybe this woman died, but a lot of other people ate things that were not appropriate. Okay, it's a little bonnet, it's after the meat, you already finished eating meat, you're not having a dessert at the same time. Okay, you make all the excuses you want. The question is, do we have proper protection for, on this level? We can, still, we can still continue to eat, unless you have an allergy, be very careful. But we still continue to eat. But, you have, but we have a question. Who is responsible and what is being done? So they went further in Israel. I have to tell you that. There is a gentleman by the name of uh, Moshe Arbel. He is an MK for Shas. And he wrote a letter to Rabbi Yo- Rabbi Rafi Yochai. Actually, it's not Rabbi. It says Rav here. But he is not. He told me, I am not Rabbi. I am Rafi. <laughs> Rabbi, yeah, Rafi Yochai is the administrator of the kosher fraud uh, department of the chief rabbinate. He and I had met a meeting here many years ago, and we interchange, we say, we send things back and forth between us occasionally. A uh, very interesting man, and he has an interesting job, and he uh, has to report all the mislabeled, unauthorized of a kosher symbol, all the, uh, the errors, and he's on top of this. And this MK from from the you know uh, from Shas wrote him a letter, and it says the following: This severe incident is still being investigated by the police, and the restaurant has meanwhile been closed. Nevertheless, the incident must be also be examined by the chief rabbinate. This is what he says, and I say it, double it. It can't be that a fleshic restaurant with a kashrus certificate, certificate serves milchika desserts. This is a serious breach of the kosherous observing public trust. We, we trust you to give us kosher, which can also be life-threatening, as we saw. And there's also a danger to other people who, who could be uh, allergic. It can be assumed that the milchik dessert was served to dozens of other diners at the restaurant before the incident was revealed in the wake of the tragic death of Osher Derry, Zal. The rabbinate must evaluate whether the kashrus supervisors responsible for the restaurant acted as expected of them and in accordance with accepted procedures prior to the incident. As part of the evaluation, it must also be determined whether conclusions can be drawn regarding kashrus supervision in general in order to ensure that such tragic incidents do not occur, recur. So basically, you know, you have to get your act together. We want to know that you, that you, and he asked them to inform him on a regular basis. He wants, to, he wants him to keep, to keep him informed about what is going on. So it is very nice that there is a bill about the EpiPen. But the cashless, the cashless has to be straightened out. That is the story, the biggest story I know of. But on a smaller scale, I mentioned it here before. I'm going to mention it again. I believe I mentioned it. That after Pesach, it was this, I mean, we discovered after Pesach that, that this particular um, Miami University had served non-Pesach meals to the Jewish people. 
How it was done, I was not able to determine, but I decided to go into it, and I got as far as I could. Basically, five days went by. That means the first two days of Yom Tov, I don't know, I don't know the distribution. That's what I haven't been able to find out. But it seems that the Hillel ordered kosher Pesach meals. What the distribution channel is there, I don't know. In some, in some uh, universities, they're just a pickup. Uh, you, you, you order your meals or whatever, and you pick them up at, the, at a certain location. In other places, uh, they have actual dining rooms. I don't know what is being done in the Miami uh, University, University of Miami. I don't know what, they, uh, what the procedure for distribution is. I, I, I'm on the impression it's not in the Hillel itself. So the Hillel ordered the meals, but the meals that were being picked up and used and given to the Jewish uh, college students were not, were not kosher or Pesach. But it took till day five to figure it out. So there's a lot of unknown here. Why did it take till day five? And what is the distribution channel? And what I came to these, the school and I came to the Hillel with is uh, what kind of distribution do you have? Is there any oversight? Because obviously the wrong meals were given. So you ordered the right meals, but why did they get the wrong meals? Isn't anybody aware of this or only Goyim involved in this? What is, what is happening? I got no answers. I got no answers from the university and I just got a brief uh, email from, the, from Hillel and I was asked not to go any further. And I don't have the time and the interest to go into it. I'm not, a, not trying to, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm not a muckraker. Uh, the, we're reporting to the public. We're going to let people know about the issues. But to go and to try to find out and to point blame, it's not my interest. But, the, but obviously, the first, one thing I saw beyond doubt is that there is question of who is responsible. And the biggest question is, how can a person send their children to such a school without and who they're expecting to get kosher and expecting that for Passover they got kosher for Passover on some level. Some level. I don't know who it is, or whatever. But some level they got supposed to get kosher for Passover. And here they ended up eating chametz. And uh, it was, as they say, an, a human error. Of course it's a human error. Everything is a human error. Absolutely everything is a human error. Somebody just shot, some policeman just shot, a woman just shot a man and killed him. Thought she, thought, she thought it was a taser. It wasn't a gun. It's a human error. Everything is human error. But there's some res- the recourse and some responsibility. And it isn't just push it off to somebody else. I, I don't know the answer to the question. But uh, I think that people who send their children to university in out-of-town settings should very much be aware of what the level of kosher is that they're getting. But going on, there's really, I could have talked about it for, you know, that, that particular situation more and more. 
But I just wanted you to know that I looked into it and went to and, and tried to attempt to get through to the people, but we weren't able to get further than I did. The next story is something that I've talked about a few times. I've written about it a few times. And things are only getting worse. In Israel, there's tremendous antagonism between what we'll call modern Orthodox and Haredi. And I'm not going to discuss whose side, who did what, and I'm not, going to, I'm not interested in that really. But there's tremendous differences and it's tearing the country apart. Literally tearing the country apart. This latest one ties into my kosher issue, which is, it, it's, it's exciting to me to see it, uh, and it's exciting in a negative way too. It's exciting to see it because I'm, I'm just excited about the, uh, not in a positive way, just that it, 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 it intrigues me very, very much. But I'm negatively excited because it's it causing a tremendous problem. We'll go back a little bit. I don't remember the year. It was, it was 2016, 2015, 2014, or 2017, somewhere around there. You know, a few years ago, there was, uh, they began uh, an organization called Hashkacha Pratit. And Hashkacha Pratit literally means individual hashkocha, but it also means hashkocha pratis, you know, that Hashem's watching us. But they used it in the idea of hashkocha pratit, mean as opposed to the rabbinic, the organization, the rabbanut, there's going to be a private hashkocha, but you can't call it that, so they call it hashkocha pratit. It was some kind of way of hinting that we're giving hashkocha. In Israel, you're not allowed to say you're giving hashkocha and that you're calling it kosher. So you have to sort of say, I'm looking at it, I'm uh, uh, overseeing some aspect of it, but you're not allowed to say that you give hashkocha. Only legally, the rabbanut rashit is allowed to give hashkocha. Or the individual rabbinates. But not the, not individual, not private hashkochas. No badatzim. Uh, no, nobody on their own. It has to be the rabbanut and their subsidiaries, which is the rabbinates of the different cities. Supposed to be. But the, they've been trying to encroach. And a couple of years ago, they attacked the rabbinate and claimed that this was wrong, and that was wrong, and this was wrong, and that was wrong. And they, they tore into, the, and they've tried to take away the control of kashras, the control of gittin, the control of, 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 uh, of marriages. They could try and take everything away from the rabbinate. They're trying to get the conservative and the reform into the rabbinate. They're trying to have women in the rabbinate. They're trying every which way to break down what has existed as a status quo since the creation of the State of Israel. It's, um, it's absolutely amazing. And it's, and it's taking place from all sides, but mostly within orthodoxy. Now, I'm not going to get lost in politics. I don't care about it at all. And I'm not going to take sides, and I'm not going to say there's nobody, you know, that this, this group is you know, good and this group is no good. There's problems everywhere, and there's good people everywhere. I'm not interested in the politics. But there is a group. It was Ashkacha Pratit, and I'm not going to go into the background of the individual who ran it. Um, he, 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 now Ashkacha Pratit is not in existence anymore. They gave over their whole business to an organization called Sohar. 
it's worth studying about Sohar and talking about it, but I don't know enough and I'm not going to, you know, to get lost in that. I just want you to understand a little bit of it. Sohar is made up of 800 religious Zionist Orthodox rabbis who their aim is to bridge the gaps between religious and secular Jews in Israel. Beautiful! They want to get a gap between religious and secular Jews in Israel. Beautiful! But they also want to take away from the rabbinate their, the uh, control, they call monopoly, I say control, of kashras. They want to rip it away from the rabbinate. So on the one hand, they want to work with the non-religious people. Beautiful. You want to make way, you want to make a kasher between them? Beautiful. There, was, there have been organizations of this nature throughout our whole existence. And one, of my, one friend of mine started an organization called Kesher, where, we, we, where there was a communication between, you'll excuse me, the right-wing orthodoxy and the non-religious Jews. And it was called Gesher. And there are countless groups of that nature. And if they want to, as the Zionist, uh, religious Zionist Orthodox rabbis, if they want to go and, and reach out to their non-religious brethren, call a kavod. But to fight and to rip away from the rabbinate because it's Haredi, and we're not Haredi, we are Kippasrugah, which that's what they say. I'm telling you, I didn't make this up. They claim because we are, because we are uh, crocheted yarmulkes, can also give kosher. Yes, as part of the rabbinate. There are crocheted rabbis, crocheted yarmulke rabbis in the rabbinate. It's not that you can't be in the rabbinate. Uh, it's one of the most famous modern Orthodox rabbis in the world. Is in the is in the rabbinate, and he has a, he's the chief rabbi of a city in in Israel. There's nobody who says you can't be part of the rabbinate if you wear a crocheted yarmulke. It doesn't cut you out, and, and, and it's not that there's uh, the good guys and the bad guys, but there's a rabbinate. And they want to rip it away, so they started this organization and try to get different restaurants to join them. I want you to know, I don't think you have time to look. I looked at it. It took about five minutes. I just happened to catch it when I went to Tsohar. I wanted to see what Tsohar is all about. And there's this unbelievable video of, uh, of Jackie. That's who he calls himself, Jackie. And Jackie, uh, it's all in Hebrew. Jack, uh, this English subs, I think. Um, it, 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 Jackie is it's just describing the cashless supervision of, uh, of the of the Tsar and why people should join there and not go with the rabbinate. It's quite clear, not go with the rabbinate, and why they're so special. And it's a very slick video. I have to tell you, it's a very slick video. And if you don't know anything else, you'll be be blown away by it. And if uh, and the uh, the question one of the questions I had with the with the video is that uh, is, is that Jackie is keep saying that they're giving kashrus hashkocha. Now they're not allowed to say it. So in the in the uda that they give, it doesn't say kashrus. It says we're supervising, we're visiting, we're this, whatever they say. But they never say the word. We give, the, the, the restaurant is kosher. They're not allowed to say it legally in the, in the state of Israel. But somehow they got away with it, putting this video up, 
and uh, basically showing that they're challenging the rabbinate. And it seems that they've gotten a few hundred ashgachas. The, their predecessor, which was Ashgacha Pratit, maybe hit 20, 30 Ashgachas. And these group, this group is up to about 160 Ashgachas. And it's challenging to the rabbinate, but it's not going to take over the rabbinate. It's not going to take away because nobody who wants Ashgacha from the rabbinut or Haredi Ashgacha will go to this, to this new group. Nobody will. It's the people probably who are who are, more, who are, let's say, maybe there's a certain grouping in orthodoxy, but it's also misorati, which is not, which is like conservative, and, the, and it's a way to offer kosher, supposedly, and make it a little easier for them, a little cheaper, and a little more their own control. I want to take you back in history, because I did look at this group, which is, which is the, the predecessor, which is Hashkocha Pratit, and they had a very interesting thing. It irks me, and I want to share it with you. Hashgacha Pratit said that we're not like the rabbinate. We believe that you can trust the restaurant owner and empower him that he should be doing much of the work. And we don't have to visit so much because he will do what we say he should do. And the, obviously the Rabbanut is working from the premise, we have to hold this pe- these people responsible and we have to run a tight ship. And they want to have a relaxed relationship with the owner and trust the owner and train the owner and rely on the owner. Vahamevin Yovin. Now you understand what is going on here. It's a lowering of the standards for sure. 